0: to was swish podcast i'm jake
1: and i'm also jake and today we have a very big episode for you guys today we are so honored to welcome the radio voice of the los angeles clippers noah eagle to the podcast no thank you so much for joining the podcast today how are you doing tonight
2: guys it's a pleasure i am doing well thank you for having me remind me the name of the podcast is what the swish but why is it not jake and jake i feel like that's a home run jake square you've got so many options double j big j journalist we're going to have to workshop this, but I do like the big switch. That's pretty good as well.
0: Great. So well, let's hop right in. So first question, since your dad's Iron Eagle, broadcaster for the Brooklyn Nets and in the NFL, but what got you into the type of broadcasting? And now you're radio hosted the Clippers. What got you into this?
2: Yeah, look, a variety of things got me into it. I think, like you guys, my love of sports helped. And when you love sports and you see it growing up and you realize, you know what? I'm probably not going to be able to play this sport for the rest of my life. And I realized pretty quickly I was going to top out at five foot eight on a good day. And that wasn't going to help me in my future endeavors in the world of athletics. And so the way for me to, to keep my love of sports into my future life and my adult life and my professional career was to do something along these lines. I'd always excelled in public speaking events and whenever I had to give speeches in in school growing up, that was where I really got most excited because I felt like I was gonna perform well. And so I always figured that there was gonna be some combination of those two. Now, when I was young, and by mean young, I mean six, even below, maybe five years old, somewhere all the way until seven, people would ask me what I wanted to do. And I was very blunt. I would look them in the eye and I'd say, I want to be a TV dentist. Now, Jake one or Jake two, can you tell me what a TV dentist is? And I'll, I won't even let you answer because you can't, it doesn't exist. I made it up in my head and my parents made it very well known that I made it up in my head. And so once I realized that I made that up and that wasn't going to be a real thing, unless I created it somehow and combined Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz and dentistry. And and by the way, I would assume you guys know Dr. Phil through TikTok more than anything else because he has a decent TikTok presence. I digress. Once I realized that wasn't going to happen, I shifted my mindset. And I would say right around 12 or 13 years old, I had seen every day growing up how much joy my dad got from the job that he had and how he loved every morning waking up and going to work and whether it be preparing for a game or being at the event, it just gave him that joy. And so to see that for me, I took a step back and said, well, I see how it's done. I know what it takes. I feel like I've got the ability, let's see if this is right for me. And so I went into college with that mindset of, all right, let me try this out. And once I realized that I enjoyed it, I just went full steam ahead.
1: So of, you just mentioned college. I, I know you went to Syracuse and I got the oh. I got the Syracuse sweatshirt, my dad went there, and I'm a big Syracuse fan. So what kind of what was it like going to Syracuse? Obviously, probably the biggest, you know, broadcast like to learn broadcasting. New house.
2: Well, shout out Cuse. go orange. Tough loss in the ACC tournament at the Buzzard of Virginia. Still feeling that a little bit deep in the crevices of my heart Jake, but I'm glad to hear that we've got another Cuse fan in the house. Yeah, I think that the decision, it wasn't automatic, honestly. A lot of people assume that because I wanted to be a broadcaster and I ended up going to Syracuse that it was a foregone conclusion for the majority of the years leading up to that point. It wasn't. I looked everywhere. I I looked at Syracuse was the first place I visited. Both my parents went there. It's where they met. So I was a little worried about going to the place that my parents met. I felt like that was a little weird. I don't know what you guys would think, but... In the process, I was like, do I really want to go there? like, that's where they met. I want to do my own thing. And so that was, I'd say, in the back of my head, was I started that process of narrowing down my choices. And so I visited Syracuse, and the first time I went, I left campus, and it was me and my mom in my junior year of high school, driving back, only a couple hours away. We lived three and a half hours away in New Jersey. And we were driving back from Syracuse, and about 15 minutes into that drive back, she looked at me and she said, well, what do you think? And I said i i don't think i can go here and i really didn't think i could go there it just it it didn't feel right the first time i went and visited and it was a good day and everything just just didn't feel right at the time so i ended up visiting a couple more places i went and saw miami and maryland i flew across the country ironically enough to los angeles and i visited ucla and usc Uh, i was interested in indiana and a variety of these places And eventually, after going to all of these other schools, I visited Syracuse a second time, just before my senior year in high school, and this time my mom said, given the fact that she had gone there and she knew all the ins and outs of the school, like the back of her hand, she said, you know what, let me give you my own personal tour. Let me show you all the places that the students actually go to, and the places that you're going to be at if you decide to come here. And I said, okay. And so she took me all around to her favorite spots and restaurants and et cetera, and and student hangouts, et cetera, along the campus and on the quad. And it was just really cool to see that aspect of it, not what the official tour necessarily shows you, but what a day-to-day life of a student at Syracuse looks like. And now that I had the knowledge base of seeing these other places around the country, it gave me a better idea of what I was going to be walking into at Syracuse. And I would absolutely say for anybody who is on the fence about a school, you guys are still years away from that. But eventually when you are in that process, Feel free to go and visit somewhere a second time if you're on the fence after you've seen other places, because it gave me a lot of perspective. And as the drive home started, then on this second visit, about 15 minutes in, my mom turned to me and said, well, what do you think? And I said, I think I have to apply early decision, which means that you apply. And if you get in, you're automatically going. You're telling them, if I get in, I'm going to go. And that's what I did. I got in. I went. And it was the best decision I could have made, because it was the perfect place for me for my four years of college.
0: So fast forward, probably more than even four years after college. How do you prepare yourself for a radio broadcasting for the Los Angeles Clippers?
2: Well, I think that you have to look at those four years in particular as the preparation. That's what college is meant for. Whatever career you choose and whatever you guys decide to go into, look, you guys are, are pretty good-looking kids. I think you could be male models if you'd like to do that instead. So, look, who knows what your future is going to hold. You've got a very nice dog in the background before Jake. He could be a nice ticket somewhere somewhere. But if you guys want to do broadcasting and you guys have already started young and you've done a great job with this podcast, the thing that college is meant for, like any profession, doctor, lawyer, et cetera, it's meant to prepare you for that next step of your life. And so my four years at Syracuse, my whole mentality once I got there and stepped on campus was I want to do as much as possible. I want to try as much as possible and a variety of topics, not just sports. I wanted to try news. I tried news. Wanted to try entertainment, I did entertainment. I'm really interested in that, and I could see myself doing more of that in the future. Obviously did a lot of sports, but not just basketball. Did field hockey, I did lacrosse, I did football, I did soccer, I did you name it, I did as much as possible if it was available to me. And so with that in mind, those four years acted as the runway to eventually take off into my professional life. As for the mental and other preparation, one thing I did do, which I don't think a lot of people know about is, and I've been open about it, but a lot of people don't really know about it, is that summer leading into the job, once I found out I got this job, is I went to a vocal coach, someone who helps generally singers, but also broadcasters as well, to maximize how to use their voice, which is the last, I would say, piece of the puzzle as a broadcaster. You want to learn about the... Fundamentals first. It's no different. You guys said that you play sports. So either one of you, what sports do you, you guys play?
1: Um, we play baseball, basketball, and like we play flag football too.
2: Okay. So along those lines, let's let's use basketball since we're on the topic anyway, as the example. When you first start playing basketball, what do they teach you first before anything else? Just like the
0: basics of the game, like shooting, dribbling, passing, and defense.
2: Exactly, exactly. The fundamentals. They teach you all those simple tactics first. How to dribble, how to pass the ball, how to use a chest pass, how to use a bounce pass, how to use the backboard when you're laying the ball up. All those little things because once you master those, then you can start to add some more color into your game and you can learn how to pick and roll and you can learn how to run plays. It's no different, I would say, with broadcasting. So the first thing that you do, in my case, at least when I got to college, was i learned all the fundamentals of broadcasting what does the audience need to hear at all times what do viewers need to hear when they're watching on tv and then that last piece of the puzzle was adding a little bit of extra in there and so i went to that vocal coach so that was my final preparation i studied other broadcasters i listened and i absorbed as much as i possibly could and then i took that knowledge and i just tried to create my own style and brand once i got out west
1: so now flash forwarding to this year You were able to do the first ever Nickelodeon game, first ever NFL Nickelodeon game, and it was a playoff game, which means makes it even better. So, what was that whole experience like? You know, trying like the NFL trying something new with Nickelodeon.
2: Well, let me ask you guys this: Do you watch Nickelodeon just in general, or have you in the past? Yeah,
1: definitely when I was younger. Past, yeah, in the past.
2: Right. Okay. So, I just need to know, like, your era of Nickelodeon. What were the shows that were on when you guys were watching? SpongeBob. Spongebob, yeah, Spongebob is their cash cow. That thing's been on since before I was around, pretty much. It's just funny that the reason I brought it up is because as I was getting ready for this game, the coolest part about it is to see how long Nickelodeon has been in people's lives. Because we got to talk to some of these players, and we got to hear about their favorite shows, and they had been watching, and a lot of these guys are even older. I'm 24 years old. A lot of them are even older than I am. They're 34 years old, like Jimmy Graham of the Chicago Bears, tight end who's been around the NFL for a long time now, all pro in the past with New Orleans. He had watched Nickelodeon when he was younger. So to think about it and see how it spanned across generations was awesome. That was one of the coolest parts about the whole experience. But as for the, the actual broadcasting game itself, I was honored to be a part of it because it was the first time that this had ever happened. And so that's special in its own right. But the best part as a broadcaster is that means nobody has any expectations going in. So you can basically mold it like Play-Doh, which I completely forgot about Play-Doh until I did one of these things. And someone talked about Play-Doh. I was like, wow, that unlocked a memory I didn't even know I had. The smell somehow got into my nose of Play-Doh. Anyway. You can mold it however you want because nobody knows how it's supposed to sound or look or be. And so we just decided to have fun with it. And luckily, people seem to really enjoy themselves of all ages, by the way. People who are two years old. (laughs) I got a lot of messages from parents of two-year-olds who liked it. People who are 32, 42, 52 years old seem to like it. And that was amazing because we did not expect that to happen. So... For it to be as successful as it was perceived to be and well received as it was was really cool. And to be a part of it was absolutely special. And I hope we get to do it again. It sounds like there's a good chance it will happen again in the future. And I'm sure you guys are gonna ask about me getting slimed. And if you are, just know that I wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat from nightmares of being slimed in my sleep. So that's what's happening in my life right now. So
0: let's fast forward some more Common day NBA questions. Do you think the Clippers can contend for a chip this year since you are the radio host for them?
2: I do. I do. I think that the Clippers have a lot of the, the, the pieces in place. And in the NBA, to compete, you need one of these marquee stars, at least one, if not multiple. And the Clippers do have two. Kawhi Leonard proved it just two years ago. And I think people have already had a short memory of what he did with the Toronto Raptors two years ago in leading them on his back. To an NBA championship and their first championship in franchise history. Paul George, just two years ago, was an MVP candidate, and both of them have been playing at an incredibly high level. I think the biggest thing for them right now is staying healthy. If they can stay healthy for the second half of the season, we saw last night against the Golden State Warriors, they dominated Golden State, and Golden State was fully, they've got all their players. Obviously, Clay Thompson isn't playing this year, but it's not like they were dealing with any major injuries or whatnot. The Clippers just came out and executed their game plan, and they had everyone available to them. Now Patrick Beverly did get hurt in the game, and we hope he's not going to miss too much time, but I would expect this team's going to put it together pretty quickly, and they've got a really good coaching staff. They've got really good pieces there. That top four in the Western Conference is all excellent. Utah, Phoenix, and both L.A. teams, and then Brooklyn, of course,
1: in the East, as well as Philly. And Milwaukee, those are all tough teams. And I'd say all seven of them feel like they can win it this year. So, kind of focusing now on the Nets, um, I want to ask you a two-part question about the Nets. Okay. What kind of, what are your thoughts on kind of you know the team they're building, and how do you think Steve Steve Nash has done as the coach?
2: Yeah, we'll start with the, the team building. Are you either of you guys Nets fans? I should I should ask that first. Knicks, I know you're Knicks East fan.
1: Probably, Knicks fan. You're
2: Knicks fans. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's rough. That's rough. No, no, there's nothing wrong with it. The Knicks, by the way, are having a great year. It's been fun to watch them come into their own. And quite frankly, they remind me of the Nets from two years ago, where it was a group of guys who are really coming together to play hard every single night. And they're winning a lot of games as a result. I'm rooting to see. It's always good when the Knicks are are good. That's always better for the NBA when the Knicks are good. As for the Nets, team development. So I, I somewhat touched on it just a second ago, but... It really started when Sean Marks took over as the general manager of the team. When he came over about four years ago, five years ago, they had no draft capital, no draft picks. They had no young talent. They didn't really have any light at the end of the tunnel. They were in this perpetual sense of really losing a lot, a lot of losing. They were the worst team in the NBA for a couple of years. And he takes over, and he just makes some incredible deals to acquire young talent. He uses his assets at his disposal and guys like Brooke Lopez and Thaddeus Young and Jeremy Lynn, etc., others that he could to get young guys like Harris Levert in the draft and Jared Allen in the draft. He found these guys who were passed over like Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris that nobody else wanted, and then they developed them as a group. And those guys all came in every day, worked incredibly hard to get better individually, get better as a unit. They traded for D'Angelo Russell, and he turned into an all-star. And so that culture that they built up, you hear that word all the time, culture. But that essence and that aura that surrounded them of hardworking, going to win at all costs that they established two years ago, that helped them lure both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to Brooklyn last summer as well as DeAndre Jordan, who was part of that trio. And now they have all this extra capital. They have the exact opposite of what they did four or five years ago because they have all this young talent. And so they're in a win-now mode, so they can expend some of that talent. And they trade both Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, some of their other young guys like and Prince, and they get James Harden. And now you've got, in my opinion, the most talented team on paper in the NBA. James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, they just signed Blake Griffin off the buyout market. Got guys like Jeff Green, who's incredibly underrated Bruce Brown, Landry Shamid who was with the Clippers last year. And I'm a big, big fan of as a person. And they've got this great group that is really coming together. Well, they're playing for each other offensively. They're impossible to stop defensively. They're getting better. And to the second question about Steve Nash, I think that we've seen him make adjustments throughout the season. I, I, I would say anybody expects for a first-year head coach, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve. And it's no different that when you get into your next grade in school, let's say that you were in normal math class, and then the next year you're doing algebra, it's going to take you a couple weeks to figure out the simple principles of algebra. But once you get those down, no different than the fundamentals we were talking about before, once you get those simple principles down, the rest of it becomes a bit easier. And I think that's what's happened with, with Steve Nash so far. We've seen him get the simple principles of coaching down, and now he's using that great basketball mind to really mold his team as well.
0: So let's fast over to another question. I know that you're a Syracuse fan and you went to Syracuse, but you're not going to like this. I'm a big UConn fan, love Kemba Walker. So what are your thoughts if the Celtics can bounce back and make a playoff run, maybe contend, probably not, what are your thoughts on them now with a healthy Kemba Walker playing like his old self?
2: Yeah, well, that was the that was the first step, I would say, is Kemba being Kemba. I mean, we we saw last year when Kemba was at his best, that team was really really hard to beat. They are really good, and they beat us twice this year. Beat the Clippers twice just before the All Star break. Kemba played pretty well in both games. And I would say it was the first couple games that he finally looked like himself. It reminds me of Paul George last year, and people didn't realize that Paul George was not healthy from the minute he stepped on the court until the minute they were or the second they were eliminated from the playoffs in the second round I think Kemba's similar this year where I don't know if he's going to be a hundred percent but they don't necessarily need him to be a hundred percent because Jason Tatum in my opinion is a future MVP in the NBA I think he's that good I think he has the potential he's still so young He is so talented he's grown even bigger which is which is wrong by the way just for you I, I don't know if you guys are tall short as I said, I'm not very very tall. I'm a bit vertically challenged. That's just greedy. He was already six foot eight. Now he's six foot ten. Like I would have taken those two extra inches. I would have been happy to. If he would have just passed them along, it would have been great. But he decided to keep it all for himself, and the rich just gets richer. So that's my small rant about Jason Tatum. But on that, on the positive note with Tatum, I really do think that he has a chance to be an MVP type of player. In the NBA, and you've got Jalen Brown, who's an All Star. They've got Marcus Smart back as well, which might have been the most important readdition for them. And I do think they're going to be aggressive as we head towards this trade deadline over the next few weeks to try to maybe go in and get a different center if it's going to be someone like Vucevic in Orlando or Al Horford, who they had two years ago. Maybe go and get him back from Oklahoma City, but that could help them a lot. And if they do that, they're they're as good as anybody. They're really good and they're really tough to beat. Are they going to beat Brooklyn in a seven-game series? Unlikely, but they're going to compete. I mean, they were in the conference finals just a year ago. They've been in the conference finals just about every year in the last half decade. So you can't count them out. And I do like what I see out of Boston in terms of them being healthy again.
1: So now with us kind of more than halfway through the season – we kind of get an idea of who kind of the guys for each award, like MVP and rookie they're going to be. So who currently is your pick for the rookie of the year? You know, you have guys like LaMelo, who's probably the clear-cut one right now, but then you guys like Emmanuel Quickly, Anthony Edwards, and Tyrese Halliburton. So who's your pick for rookie of the year?
2: Jake, it's the first name you mentioned. It's LaMelo Ball. The dude is running away with it. And it was funny because Michael Jordan, who owns the Hornets, and I guess you guys weren't even alive when Michael Jordan was playing in the NBA, correct?
1: Yeah, we weren't.
2: See I can't even I can't even like make any fun because I was barely alive when he was playing in the NBA. I was only two years old when he retired in Chicago and then he came back when I was what six, seven years old. so I saw him in the second stint. Anyway, that's just me being trying to act like I'm older than I actually am. I'm not. As for LaMelo Ball, I think he's exceeded anybody's expectations except for one person. And that's what I'm alluding to with Michael Jordan. MJ said, nobody saw this coming. Well, I can tell you one person saw this coming. And that's LaVar Ball. LaVar Ball saw this coming from a mile away. From the second that LaMelo Ball was born, LaVar Ball said he was going to be the greatest basketball player of all time. Said it about all three of his sons. I'll give him that. But he was right about one of them. And honestly, I would say two, because Lonzo's having a a quietly very good season as well. But LaMelo Ball's running away with the Rookie of the Year right now. I do really like Tyrese Halliburton. Excellent player. And I think once Sacramento figures out the direction they want to take that franchise in and they understand that Fox and Halliburton being their guys moving forward, it's going to help them. Uh, So I think that in the future, we could see more of him. Quickly, you mentioned, has had an exceptional year as well. James Weissman's really good. He just hasn't quite been available as much necessarily. His team relies a lot more on Steph Curry, so his numbers aren't eye-popping. But LaMelo Ball right now is the clear-cut favorite, and I think we'll run away with the Rookie of the Year.
1: And like you mentioned with Tyrese Halliburton, I think the Kings are kind of going to develop what they did, like what the Blazers did with Dame and McCollum, kind of two-point guards, kind of developed them one into more of a shooting guard, I think. Yeah, I yeah, would definitely I help see it. So um, our next question for you is kind of similar, but, you know, the bigger one. Who, who's your MVP pick? Mine has got to be Joel Embiid right now. Jake, we're on the same wavelength. I would say right now it's Joel Embiid, but things
2: change over the course of a season. And we're still, what, what, halfway through, pretty much smack dab in the middle. A lot can change in the second half. But right now the leader in the clubhouse is Joel Embiid. The, the numbers he's putting up are astronomical his performance is the eye test. When you when you watch him play, you say, okay, this guy is special. And the team's number one in the conference. They're the top of the Eastern Conference right now. Now, like I said, things can change. If Phoenix continues to win and they end up as the top seed in the Western Conference, I think Chris Paul is going to start to get more and more love. I think people are going to start looking at Chris Paul and the, the impact that he's had on the Phoenix Suns and say, okay, wait a second, we've got to give this guy his due diligence Steph Curry's had an unbelievable unbel- year. Damian Lillard's had an unbelievable year. LeBron James, my guy Kawhi Leonard. But right now, the leader in the clubhouse, I didn't even mention Nikola Jokic, who's off the charts. My guy, the leader in the clubhouse, would be Joel Embiid right now.
0: So let's move on to our one of our last questions in this category, which is my favorite award, the most improved player, your most surprising player. I go into players like Chris Boucher out of Toronto. He's having a surprising year. Going to players even deeper, like Jared Vanderbilt out of Denver, he's had a good year. Who's your most surprising, improved player this year that went from mediocre to amazing or from bad to solidly good NBA player?
2: (laughs) You have, I would say, Jake, your descriptions were excellent. If the awards were just put in that simple terms, I think we would never get them wrong. From bad to good or from good to great, that's all we need to know. And people really try to make it even more difficult than it has to. I'm going to stick with my Syracuse guy, Jeremy Grant, in Detroit, just based on how he's taken strides forward. So he went from a very good player in Denver, and I saw him in the playoffs. He was a main reason why they beat the Clippers in that series because of his defense on Kawhi Leonard. And offensively, he had a couple of really big games. But I did not think he was going to be someone who could consistently put up 30 points in a night. And he's doing it almost every night now. I understand Detroit's not winning a whole lot of games but the leap that he's taken is very impressive. And I think if Christian Wooden hadn't gotten hurt, he would have gotten a, a little bit more traction, although he had a great year last year as well. I do like the Boucher drop. And Chris Boucher has been a sleeping giant for a while now. He's been a great player with the G League squad in Toronto for a little bit. And now he's getting his run without Serge Ibaka in Toronto and without Marcus Saul He's getting more run and he's making the most of it. So I do like him a lot. But I, I got to give it to Jeremy Grant. He's having an unbelievable year.
1: Yeah, there's also other guys you could consider. Like, I know if he wasn't injured, I think he would be the favorite Christian Wood from the Rockets. He, you know, he's been out for a while, but I think when he, at the beginning of the year, he kind of looks like he could have been that guy. And then also, you have All Star Julius Randall.
2: Mm, who... Yeah, your guys. See, yeah, that, that's a yeah. you guys pick.
0: That is a us pick. I'm over Knicks. So let's move on to six last rapid-fire questions,
2: more as quick NBA questions, all about Nets, Lakers. Nets right now.
1: Um, so I know this one's a very big debate, but I think I would lean towards Steph Curry, Curry or Dame.
2: I'm going to stick with Curry as well, but that's close. It's getting closer by the day. Dame is, is off the charts. Good.
0: Why, Leonard, your guy or KD? This season or and in total in their careers?
2: I mean, I'm just going to be biased and say, cool, why?
0: Um,
1: this one is a tough one. Paul George or Jimmy Butler? But maybe with your bias, you'll go with Paul George here.
2: I am going to go with Paul George. And I think a lot of people would go with Jimmy Butler. But I would implore them to look at the season PG is having this year.
0: Second the last one, LeBron or MJ? This is one of the biggest debates in sports history. What's your, what's your pick?
2: Michael Jordan.
1: I I, I think it's Jordan at the moment, but I think when LeBron retires, it's going to be him.
2: He still has a lot lot more that he can accomplish, and you're probably right. There's a very good chance, but right now, it's still Michael Jordan.
1: Okay, so our final question of this great interview with you, Noah, is who do you think is going to win the championship? You obviously mentioned the Nets before, (laughs) but who do you think?
2: Well, I would say my heart is telling me the Clippers because I want that to happen and I hope that it happens. And quite frankly, I hope that it's Clippers versus Nets given the fact that my dad has worked for the Brooklyn Nets and New Jersey Nets now for 27 years since before I was even born, since I was an idea in his head. And so if in a perfect world, I got, if a genie came out of a lamp right now and said, you have three wishes, it would be that the Clippers and the Nets meet in the finals. That's one that the Clippers win the finals, that's two, and that everybody gets vaccinated, that's three. That, those would be my three wishes right now. If I could just, if a genie was a, is there? Okay, I thought that was going to work. I really did. I, I was really hopeful that was going to work, but it didn't. Um, no, I, I look, I think the Nets are, are pulling away as the best team in the league right now. So if you ask me who's the best team in the NBA right now, I'd say the Brooklyn Nets. But... I'm, I'm biased towards the Clippers, and I'm just gonna—I'm gonna ride with my guys. I'm gonna ride with my with my group. So, give me the Clippers. I'll fight with them, and I'll take whatever I need to take if it doesn't work out.
0: Okay, so thank you so much, Noah, for coming on the podcast. Tell us, make sure to like, comment, follow us on Instagram, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Soundbuds. Thank you so much, Noah, for hopping on podcast. Thank you guys. Peace.